Let's pray before we look at God's word here. Dear God, um, thank you for the word you have given us um, that you inspired by your Holy Spirit and wrote through the Apostle Paul um, to, to tell us your good word to us, what you are doing in among us by what you've accomplished for us through your son, Jesus Christ, what you are doing in us every day through him and by your spirit. And pray that we take these words to heart, be encouraged by them, and look to you for our unity and our peace in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday when we celebrate and we remember the coming of the Holy Spirit with power upon the apostles and disciples. And uh, one thing that uh, really shows up there in that event, because you remember it's, it, they, the apostles speak in tongues and languages that they did not know before, and they speak as a group, and the crowd of travelers from different countries each hears praises to God in their own native tongue. And we see that the power of the Spirit has this ability to break down barriers, to overcome confusion, and to unite people in praise of God. And we think about unity, and, and we think back to the Garden of Eden and the good world God created, we have God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That's what, the, what Genesis describes. God walking in the garden with the cool of the, in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. And the language there of how Adam talks about Eve and Eve talks about Adam and God talks about them. There's this wonderful harmony, just perfect harmony of them being living together, God and mankind living together in the garden. And of course that didn't last man's sin broke the relationship and brought sin and selfishness and death into the world and then fast forward then to the tower of babel we have all of humanity united in this great building project the tower of babel to reach up to god um, but of course they're not doing it to reach god they're they're doing it to make a great name for themselves man and his, his sinfulness the, the one thing that seems to you but we you know, we don't unite around much, but, but um, shaking our fist at God seems to be one thing that man in his sinfulness can unite around. Uh, uniting around making ourselves great, uniting around sin. Um, and God saw the sinfulness and the pride in their hearts, and so he confused their languages. And so ever, man was divided. The result of the Tower of Babel was division and confusion. And of course, later that division became hostility, different Groups of people hostile to each other because of division and confusion. Now we come circle back around to Pentecost. And in many ways, Pentecost is, is a redemption of the Tower of Babel. Because we what, the, what does the Holy Spirit bring? Well, he brings peace, understanding, and unity that overcomes the division, confusion, and hostility. Uh, it's not a reversal of Babel. That would mean to... Because we still have all these different languages, right? He doesn't, he doesn't dissolve all the languages and bring us back to one language. No, he includes every language and he uses it, brings, it, brings them into his kingdom. Um, so this new unity of the Spirit, of course, it's unity around God. And it's not found apart from him. It's something that the Spirit brings and so, we, of course, we still experience division today. Um, as you all know, we've all experienced division. A neighbor, a best friend, family members, and things change. And now those people are practically strangers. 
And that's tragic and, and grieves us. So we still experience to this day that, that there we experience division, we experience difficulty in understanding each other. Even when we speak the same language, we sometimes can't understand each other or sometimes people don't even want to try. And division can even become hostility. So we, it's still there. We still, we live with both, both division and unity to this day. But Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came with power, a power that gave understanding and peace and unity and bridged that. And in the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, he writes in more detail about the unity that the Spirit brings. That's what we're gonna look at today. Uh, Ephesians 2, 17 through 22. I'm going to start here with 17 and 18. And talk about Jesus. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And now to clearly define who, who are those who are far off and those who are near. Uh, in this context, those who are far off are the Gentiles who have n had no knowledge of God before, and those who are near are the Jews who at least who had the word of God, the Old Testament, and were closer. They, um, and this is clear from uh, just a couple of verses earlier, verse 12, speaking to the Gentiles in Ephesus. Remember that you were at that time, before they knew Christ, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But then verses 13 through 16 describe how Christ accomplished peace among men. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So Jesus can bring peace between men because he made peace between us and God. Jesus killed the hostility between man and God by his death on the cross. So in him, strangers are brought near to God. In him, divided people become one new man. And as we are brought to God through the one Savior, we are brought to each other to become one people. So Jesus is peace for those who are far off and those who were near. But both need this peace because both share the same common problem, the human condition of sin. So whether they're Jew or Gentile, and same for us to the day, whether you, whether you were raised with the, in the church with the knowledge of God your whole life, or whether you n never had a back church background and never heard the word, 
We both need the Savior. We both have the same human condition. Uh, and Alexander Solzhenitsyn said it very well. The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. And so we can't judge any person or group of people as a, as a worse kind than another because sin is a common human problem. Now we must always call evil, evil. Always tell the truth. Call evil, evil. But there are no people who are naturally worse. We have a common human problem. A common human condition of sin. And we have a common solution. Jesus saves from sin for all people. So he's not just the Savior for Jews, not just for Gentiles, not just for Scandinavians, and not just for people 2,000 years ago. He is always the Savior for all people. And salvation is accomplished. It, it, he saves people in the same way. Through the forgiveness of sins, which is a gift received by faith. And the salvation of sin accomplishes the same thing in those who receive it. He washes away your sin and he plants a new human nature in you that grows to be more like him. And because he plants this in you, the Holy Spirit stirs up your heart to repent of sin and to live for righteousness. So Jesus, is, he is the mediator and the model for peace, for peace amongst each other in this life. Because if we can't forgive each other, then we're not going to have peace. Just as God showed forgiveness to us through his son, we find peace by being willing to forgive each other, but also being willing to repent of our sins against each other. And where there is Forgiveness, and where there is repentance, there the peace of Christ reigns. We also see that the Holy Spirit transforms us to share one heart and mind. He brings unity by giving us one heart, one mind that sees God and follows God and seeks Him. And this also is necessary for our unity. Because if you, if you don't agree on what is true, if you don't agree on what is sacred, what is necessary to define all the other things, then you can't have unity. You can get along, but you're not going to have that unity that we long for. So in summary, back to verse 17 and 18. By the peace of Christ, we come together in one spirit to God the Father. We come to him. So the purpose of our peace is to come to God. And that display on Pentecost, what, it wasn't just, it was languages being spoken by the power of the Spirit, but what were they saying? What was the content? It was praises to God. All the people, as we heard earlier in Acts 2 when we read it, when it was read aloud, they were saying, I'm hearing in my own native tongue the praises of God. So the content, the purpose of this unity is to come together to praise God. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
So in this verse, Paul gives two illustrations for us, both citizenship and family. And with citizenship, he calls us, he says, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Now, when I was a child, I moved around every two to three years because my dad was career Navy, and we all, but we always moved within the states. We were always moving around, and so I, I was often a stranger. That was, that was pretty normal for me. <laughs> I expected to be a stranger, uh, but I was never an alien. I, was, I always had this idea, well, I'm not yet your friend, <laughs> but, I'm, I'm, but, I, but we probably will be. <laughs> but I am a fellow student. I'm a neighbor. Um, and my parents, you know, when they came into the town, you know, they, they, were, they were resident citizens. We enjoyed the full benefits of that town and that county, and my parents had full power to, of, to, of, the, of their voice in the community, as, 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 as much power to voice their vote and their opinions as any other resident citizen. Now, when I grew up and I served in the Navy, I went, visited many foreign countries. And when I visited those countries, I was both a stranger and an alien. And so it, when I went there, you know, they, they, I wasn't, they didn't owe me the benefits of their country. You know, if they, if they shared anything with me, that was just a gift. They didn't owe me anything. I was a stranger and an alien. And I did not get voting rights just by walking around in their country. And nor should I have, right? Like, I'm, I don't live there. I'm not one of them. I don't know their ways. I don't, I don't have a vested, you know, there's no reason I should have voting rights in their country just because I'm a tourist passing through. It would be like a random pedestrian coming off the street and walking into your, your homeowner's meeting to vote on HOA policy, right? Like, you, you just don't get it just because you walk in. <laughs> Jesus grants us citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. He says, you are fellow citizens with the saints. And this is, this citizenship is granted to you by Jesus, by what he did on the cross. So you are no longer strangers and aliens from God, no longer strangers and aliens in the kingdom of God you are known and you belong. You, have, you get all the benefits of the kingdom of God and you have all the, the privileges and powers of the kingdom of God. And that also means you have unity with every other citizen in the kingdom. You all conduct yourselves the same way. You're all working towards the same kingdom, the same purpose. And this is true even if we don't always act like it. We don't perfectly act out this reality. But Christ has made it true, and his spirit in us is molding us. He's working out this reality in us so that it becomes more evident in us. The other illustration is family. We are members of the household of God. So all who believe in Jesus, that he is their Lord and Savior who saves them from sin, they are members of the family of God. They are adopted into the family. They are full sons and daughters of God, full brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. So there's, there are no half-brothers in the kingdom of God. Now, in our, in our earthly families, we experience both unity and division. 
Families do create real unity and real identity. Family is an inherently good thing. And when it doesn't work out that way, that's because of the sin in our human hearts, our selfishness. We see people wrong each other. They refuse to apologize. They refuse to repent of sin and become unbearable to live with or be around. Sometimes division becomes open hostility, even amongst family. Other times, family can't agree on what is true, on what is sacred. And without genuine attempts to understand, disagreement becomes confusion, which becomes division, and even family members can become strangers. And this happens all too often, and we grieve and mourn over this. And I think of other families, like adopted families and step families, and just what a beautiful picture that is, trying to rebuild something from, out of brokenness, out of families that were out of orphaned children or out of split families, now trying to rebuild unity. And again, like natural families, it, it doesn't always work out as hoped, but the attempt and the intention are noble. And when unity is built, it is, it's a beautiful redemption of brokenness. Now, each of these, whether it's the natural family or, or a rebuilt blended family, both of these illustrate the greater and higher love and unity of God and his family. And I, I once heard a friend express his gratitude, his appreciation for his stepmom in words kind of like this, I'm paraphrasing, but she loved him so much she chose to be his mom. That's how he put it. And, and this is like God's greater and higher love for us. God chose you. God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to adopt you. When we adopted you, he adopted the debt of your sin. So Jesus was sent to pay off the debt of your sin so that he could adopt you into the family of God. Now when, when God adopts you, he sends his spirit into you. And he transforms you so that spiritually you are his child. You become his child by nature. So what he did legally by adoption in Christ, he also does naturally. He changes your spiritual nature by his spirit, his Holy Spirit transforming you. Now we know natural families produce children like themselves. Uh, and sometimes this is very obvious. You can look at someone's children and say, that is the spitting image of their dad or of their mom. Like you, you could just, you could see it. And, and sometimes it always isn't that clear. But usually you look at, you look at a family and you can tell, hey, like these are siblings. This, these are it's a family unit. That parents create children like themselves. And that it's a real connection because they have those children. And we know, you know, children also have great variety, great variety of personalities, of abilities, as every parent knows. But even amongst that variation, they share common parents, common flesh and blood, and, and a family connection that is recognizable, natural, and real. And they don't have to do anything to be part of the family. They just are. 
Now, on the other hand, uh, we also know, you know, human parents are not going to create anything that's unlike themselves. You know, no, ever, no human parents ever produced a clam, right? I mean, we, we, we know, okay, likeness, thing, create like things. So when God adopts you into his holy family by faith, you are born again. And he spiritually transforms you into the likeness of the image of his only begotten son, Jesus. So you become by nature what you are by adoption, members of God's holy family. And belonging to this family, it does not depend on you. You cannot create it. You can only receive it. God chose you, and he produces his nature in you. So, if this is the case, believers, fellow believers in Christ, cannot possibly be strangers and aliens from one another. God is your heavenly Father. Christ is your brother. You are brothers and sisters in Christ, in the family of God. And the Holy Spirit the one Holy Spirit is in every believer. So it, God is the unity of this family, and it cannot be any other way. But God is also the unity of, of earthly families, because he, he's the creator of humanity. He created moms and dads, created the natural family. So he is their unity as well. He is the true restorer of broken families. So, because however far apart we might be from each other, it's not nearly as far apart as we were from God before Jesus saved us. So if Jesus can reconcile you with God, he can reconcile you with your family members. However, that reconciliation, that new unity, that's, it's going to be based on him. He created family. It can't be any other way. And so if there is something more sacred to us or to family members, more so than God, then we will not have true unity. We might be friendly and get along with each other and everything, but, but we're not going to have that true unity. And if we, we, if we give up God in a vain attempt to try to keep family, then we end up losing both. Because we all know our, our earthly families will pass away. Each one of us is mortal. We can't hold on to that, that earthly family forever. But the family of God, that will last forever. So if your earthly family are all in Christ, then that will, will last forever too. And the next illustration then in, in Ephesians 2 is this illustration of a great building project. Verse 20, it, it, this is describing the house of God, the household of God, and it says, it is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the apostles and prophets are the foundation that is laid by God. They were the instruments 
God used to reveal divine scripture to mankind. So it's God's word given by the apostles and prophets is the foundation of the church. And this is so because just as God spoke at creation, he spoke and out of nothing the world was made, God speaks his divine word gives you faith and makes you a child of God. God's word creates the children of God, the family of God. And so his word is the foundation that the household is built upon. And Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the stone that every other stone in the building is lined up upon. The placement and alignment of every other stone is based on that and all of it points to the cornerstone and that is Christ. And so the stones then, as they are connected to him and flow from him, those stones are being joined together and they're, they're being built together and forming structures, forming the structure growing into a holy sanctuary. So as, we, as I talked about and showed in the children's message, it's like this great building project. And you can imagine this giant foundation and from the cornerstone, many structures, stones are coming out and appearing, and many structures are going up here, there, all over. And as the stones are, but the stones are living, they're growing, they're being shaped and molded to just the right shape they need to be for their perfect placement. And they grow out of the cornerstone. And as each stone is growing and appearing up, the structures are appearing at the same time. And, but the structures are all connected to each other. And as they're all growing up, they're all growing into one big, vast sanctuary for the Lord. And uh, the thing that uh, this most reminds me of um, is uh, when I was visiting the Holy Land, and there's the, the cathedral there that uh, marks the, the tomb of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus. And it's a huge cathedral that covers multiple city blocks, and it's actually... Um, it's not owned by just one denomination or one church. There's actually six different denominations that own different sections of the building. And the whole, but the whole thing's connected in one giant cathedral, but different sections of it, different structures of it are, are maintained by different denominations. They have different responsibilities. And they don't always get along and their unity is not what we wish it could be. But at the same time, that cathedral does, like, this is a cathedral that is, it marks the crucifixion of Jesus and the burial of Jesus. And it's got to be big because those are different sites. And yet one cathedral covers all that, all devoted to declaring the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the praise of God. And it's different structures maintained by different Christians. And yet it all is connected into one cathedral for the praise of God. So coming back to these verses then, he closes this saying, you, you are being, in Christ, are being built up into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now in ancient Jerusalem, the temple was where the presence of God dwelt. And so if you wanted access to God, you want to come near to him, you came to the temple. And Christ says, no, he, he's, going to, he's making his people the temple of God. 
Because if Christ, is, Christ brings you into God, you are in God and he is in you and he is among you, among the believers. So in Jesus, you are being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. God is building us up together. So he's not just building you up alone by yourself. He's building you up with other believers. We're meant to be in a congregation. In fact, we must be in a congregation if we are going to grow into what he intends for us. Because he's intending us to be his dwelling place. And this dwelling, this, this growing and building and changing, this happens by the work of the Spirit in your heart and in your mind and in your life. And he does this by the Word and by the sacraments. The Spirit is working on you, changing you. He changes your heart and your mind and your attitude and your manner and your actions so that all of these better reflect Christ. So where there is repentance and forgiveness, there the peace of Christ reigns. Where the Spirit is, there he will lead you to unity because he will show you the truth. And when you rightly see God, you rightly see yourself and you rightly see others. And also the Spirit gives you wisdom to overcome division. He will give you understanding of the stranger so that you can reach out to them for God. And as we grow in the knowledge of God, of God himself, we grow in unity. And as we grow to be more like Christ, as we better reflect him, we will more greatly bless one another. And the culmination of our unity will come on that day, great day in heaven, when God brings a new heaven and new earth, and he causes us to dwell with him in perfect unity. And on that day, no one will be a stranger, because all will be known by him, and we will be one family of God together. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this word to us, what you've done for us to overcome our brokenness and division and the hostility that's in our hearts and our lives and our world by sending your Son to take all that hostility and brokenness upon himself on the cross to save us from our sin and bring us peace in himself and to bring us to you so that we might be in the family of God and be united together and that your spirit might dwell in us and build us together into the family of God. Pray that we would take this to heart and be encouraged by it and find hope in it and, and devote ourselves to following Christ and knowing him and being more like him, that we might uh, come to all that you have and desire for us. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.